but thank you for joining me. I am going to briefly respond to uh, Mike Schmitz uh, from Ascension Presents doing a pretty brief defense of devotion to Mary. We obviously will not cover everything that I would like to cover and say about Roman Catholicism's view of Mary in this one short video. But nonetheless, I wanted to respond to this because he says some really poor things, and I think it would be helpful to hear. Now, I, I understand from an apologetic standpoint, and I don't mean to be condescending, but this is low-hanging fruit. And, and, and that's not to, to be insulting to, uh, to Mike. It's just, I think that's what his ministry is going geared towards. I don't think he's trying to be really robust and academic and, um, I'm not saying he doesn't have the capacity to do that. I'm not saying he maybe doesn't do that in other areas and other venues, but I don't think that his Ascension Presents ministry is is geared toward that. So I do understand this is sort of low-hanging fruit, but at the same time, it's really popular. Last I heard, his podcast is really climbing the ranks. So at the same time, uh, a lot of people are listening to this, and a lot of people are being influenced by this, and so I think it's still worthwhile to do uh, some listening in on what he has to say and responding to it. So here is uh, a, about an eight, almost nine minute video of him talking about devotion, sort of giving a defense, if you will, of Roman Catholic, Roman Catholic devotion to Mary. There's an interesting thing. Whenever we start talking about Mary, again, as I've always mentioned in all these videos, people get all like, they got all nervous because they're like, what are you going to say about Mary? Because it takes away from Jesus. Like, false doesn't take away from Jesus. Yeah, so we do get pretty nervous uh, when Roman Catholics start talking about Mary. And I think it's because we're afraid they might say something like this. O mother of perpetual help, thou art the dispenser of all the goods which God grants to us miserable sinners. And for this reason, he has made thee so powerful, so rich, and so bountiful, that thou mayest help us in our misery. Thou art the advocate of the most wretched and abandoned sinners who have recourse to thee. Come then to my help, dearest mother, for I recommend myself to thee. In thy hands, I place my eternal salvation and to thee do I entrust my soul. Count me among the most devoted servants. Take me under thy protection, and it is enough for me. For if thou protect me, dear mother, I fear nothing, not from my sins, because thou wilt obtain for me the pardon of them, nor from the devils, because thou art more powerful than all hell together, nor even from Jesus." My judge himself, because by one prayer from thee, he will be appeased. But one thing I fear, that in the hour of temptation, I may neglect to call on thee, and thus perish miserably. Obtain for me, then, the pardon of my sins, love for Jesus, final perseverance, and the grace always to have recourse to thee, O mother of perpetual help. This comes from something called devotions in honor of our mother of perpetual help. This is not something that has ever been anathematized by the Roman Catholic Church. Thousands of Roman Catholics all over the world, millions, would be very comfortable 
saying what we just said, praying a prayer to Mary, wherein Mary is described as more powerful than all of hell together, where Mary is described as the one in whom we take recourse, who protects us from Jesus. Mary is described as the one who who obtains for us the pardon of our sins. Mary is the one who we entrust our souls to, who protects us. We trust our eternal salvation to her. Yeah, that's why we get a little nervous when y'all start talking about Mary. <laughs> Hi, my name is Father Mike Schmitz, and this is Ascension Presents. There is this uh, dogma of Mary. Actually, there's four dogmas of Mary uh, regarding Mary. We're going to get to So a quick thing, if you don't know about the Marian dogmas, uh, in evangelical life, We'll throw terms around like doctrine, theology, dogma. But in Roman Catholic theology, uh, these terms have very specific meanings. And a very brief layman's understanding of dogma is these are things that the church has infallibly, definitively defined. And so that means that to deny a dogma, it puts you outside the Catholic faith. These are the foundations of the faith. These are things that are non-negotiable. You you will have doctrine, Roman Catholic doctrine, and that's just widely held beliefs, widely taught beliefs, but you're technically free to disagree with doctrine and still be Roman Catholic, but you cannot disagree with dogma. And so the blasphemies that have been said about Mary have been dogmatized, which means they are so important to Roman Catholicism that they have been elevated to the same level of importance as the Trinity and even the gospel itself. These are simply things you cannot question or deny. And so the issue is not so much even are they true now, um, but are they foundational to the faith? Uh, One of the dogmas of Mary is that she bodily assumed into heaven. They don't tell you whether Mary died or not. You can think that if you want. Some say she never died. Some say she did die. But in order to be a Christian, in order to be part of the one true church of 2,000 years, uh, it is apparently vitally important for you to believe that her body ascended to heaven and was never buried, and that that belief is so important to the faith it needed to be dogmatized. Uh, Not in the Bible anywhere, not in the early centuries of the church anywhere, but still, it's foundational to the faith. So uh, when he talks about dogmas, just know there's a very specific meaning to that. And, and it in and of itself uh, creates a lot of problems. Marian dogma in just a second, but let's, let's, let's highlight this. Number one, from the cross, Jesus said to the beloved disciple, that's your mother. And to his mother, that's your son. In doing so, Jesus gave Mary as mother of all of us. That is what all Christians have believed for all time. <laughs> like- That's a really bold claim. So what he's referencing is in John chapter 19, verse 27. I think it's verse 27. Uh, Jesus is on the cross and he has not died yet. And Mary, his mother, is present. And John, the author of the gospel of John, is present. And Jesus looks at John and he tells John, behold your mother. And then John takes care of Mary, takes Mary as his own So basically, Mary becomes uh, John's adoptive mother. Uh, John takes her on and protects her and cares for her uh, as he would his own mother. And Mike Schmitz just claimed what all Roman, this is Roman Catholic teaching, that that is Mary, uh, that the point of that text is to say that Mary is now the mother of us all, that Mary is not just Jesus's mother or John's mother, but she is all of our mother by virtue of being Christ's mother. Uh, what Jesus revealed to us by giving her to John is that we all need to call her mother, that she is now the mother of the church. 
And uh, he, we obviously as Protestants deny that, not biblical in any way, shape, or form. I would challenge the historicity of it. And along those lines, he mentioned that this is what all Christians have believed for all time. Um, now, I, I understand with a bold claim like that, you couldn't possibly definitively prove that in one video because you would have to, what, document every Christian that's ever existed. Uh, but it wouldn't it have been nice to maybe hear someone influential from the early centuries of the church make this claim? Because I, I reject that. As a matter of fact, uh, you can find online for free, Augustine has a commentary on John. He, he talks about this verse at length. And John Chrysostom has a commentary on John too, very early and extremely influential church fathers. Both have a commentary on John. Both talk about John, get into John 19, and both reference this verse. They both go into detail about this verse, and they say nothing, nothing about Mary being the mother of us all, about this being some kind of symbol or transition of Mary being the whole church. They don't say anything about that. This is what every Christian ever believed. Did Augustine believe that? Maybe, not according to his commentary on John. When Augustine talks about this, he talks about things like Jesus did this to leave us an example of how important it is to take care of our parents. Chrysostom also said that the purpose of this is to show us how important it is to take care of our parents, which is biblical. Paul tells Timothy in the pastoral epistles uh, that if anyone in the church does not take care of their own family, then you are to treat them as worse than an unbeliever. So this is consistent. We all would agree with that. That is an example Jesus is leaving for us. But none of them say, in, in uh, Chrysostom's commentary on this is very short. Augustine has like three or four points he makes from this. But none of them, I mean, go read it for yourself, say anything about this indicating that Mary is the mother of us all, or that Mary is the mother of the church. So... This is a really bold claim. I don't think it's true in citing some scholars who agreed with him, citing some early church fathers who taught this would have been nice, but he just kind of threw it out there, and uh, I don't think it's true. Interpretation of that, the interpretation of that has been, for all Christians from the beginning, has been that from the cross, in a moment of agony, when he's being poured out, Jesus is not just entrusting his mom to the care of John the Beloved. He is entrusting his mom to all of us, and he's trusting us to his mom. He's giving us his mother as our mother. So what goes on to say from that moment. Yeah, as we said, none of that is true. Um, but here's what, uh, what interesting, one other thing I'll say. At first, the conversation was about how Mary was entrusted to John, and therefore Mary has been entrusted to us. But Mary's supposed to be highly exalted above us, so he had to flip it. Well, rather, it's us being entrusted to Mary. But see, now we already have a problem with the interpretation of that text, because guess what? That's not the focus or emphasis of John 19 in that verse, 27, when Jesus said that. Like, surely there is a kind of reciprocal relationship, right? Behold your mother, behold your son. So they're kind of both being entrusted to another. But the emphasis is certainly not on John being entrusted to Mary. It's not John uh, finding a new mom, and his mom is going to protect him and provide for him and take his eternal salvation into her hands and protect him from angry Jesus and all those things that we read in that prayer. Uh, clearly, the emphasis on that text is Mary needed protection. Mary needed provision. Mary needed a man, and he gave John, his beloved disciple, to do that. So yeah, the, the emphasis of the text is not uh, John entrusting himself to Mary. It's Mary falling under the care and protection and love of John. 
he took her from that hour, John took her into his home. So that's what we are supposed to do too. So number one, Jesus gave to us to her, gave her, gave us to each other from the cross. Number two, some people say, maybe I've mentioned this before, but some people think like, but if I, if I love Mary, I'm going to love Jesus less. False. So that's a straw man. I mean, I don't know who all he interacts with. Maybe there are people that say that. No one has claimed, at least on our side, no meaningful response to the Marian dogmas has been as if like human beings have, you know, like a quantifiable amount of love potion in their bodies. And we can only distribute that love to a certain degree, you know, so the more I love Mary, well, then I got to start taking some of my love juice from Jesus, right? So we all agree that love is not tangible like that. It's not concrete. You know, we can continually grow in our love for many things. I think this is a bit of a straw man just to say, you know, this is a really easy argument to take down. Like, no, you, you you can love Mary and still love Jesus, just like, you know, you love your own parents and still love Jesus. And you can continually grow in your love for parents, just like Jesus. So, uh, and he was going to clarify a little bit, but just to make our position clear, our position clear is not, if I love Mary, I can't love Jesus or I'll love Jesus less. That's not what we're saying. I do love Mary. I'm excited to meet Mary in heaven one day. Uh, but it's not about loving Mary. It's about praying a prayer like entrusting our souls to Mary. It's about asking Mary to deliver us from harm and protect us on earth. It's about asking Mary to um, intercede as our intercessor before our judge, Jesus Christ. It's We're talking about when we take things that have been applied to Jesus, like Jesus is the only exception to the all have fallen sin or all have fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible's very clear Jesus is perfect. The Bible does not say Mary's perfect, but you want to make her perfect. The Bible's very clear Jesus is the only mediator between God and men, but you want to make Mary a very important intercessor and mediator for us between man and Jesus. So what we're saying is not that if, oh, if we love Mary more, we're going to love Jesus less. We're saying what you are actually asking us to think about Mary does in fact attack and detract from the glories and the uniqueness of Jesus Christ. So we want to love Mary, but we don't want to give to Mary things that only belong to Christ. We don't want to insult Christ by challenging his uniqueness. And your doctrines of Mary, of Mary challenges that. It, the, the doctrines of Mary challenge the uniqueness of Christ. Sorry, let's, let's clarify. Is it possible to love the creature more than the creator? Absolutely. Is it, is it possible to love the creation more than the creator? Absolutely. I mean, there are people in this world who are more preoccupied with nature than the one who made nature, right? There's people in this world who are more uh, captivated by the universe than the one who made the universe. And so, yes, is it possible to love the creation of the creator so much that it actually takes away from your love for the creator? Definitely. That can, be, that can happen. So is it possible for someone to have uh, more love for uh, so much love for one of God's saints that you stop loving God. Yes, I mean, technically, that's possible. Yes, I mean, technically, that's possible. I don't know why he said technically, like it's some rare hypothetical, some bizarre thing to even contemplate when it is Jesus himself who had to command his disciples not to do this. Matthew chapter 10, beginning in verse 34. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have come, 
I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow it is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses life for my sake will find it. If this is some random, weird, technical, hypothetical, I don't know why Jesus finds it so important to tell people, you cannot be my disciple if you're going to do this. So yeah, it's very easy to love other people more than Jesus. It's very easy to love Mary more than Jesus. So this is not some technical hypothetical. This is something we need to check our hearts on every single day if we want to be followers of Christ. So don't do that. <laughs> Agreed. But what is our loving Mary supposed to do? What it's supposed to do is it's supposed to increase our love for him. I mean, because here's a little quick story. I keep saying I might have shared this before because I keep thinking maybe I shared this before, but here if I did, here it is again. And if I didn't, here it is for the first time. So I remember getting ready to get I remember dating this gal and, and getting to know her and getting uh, to fall in love with her and just being so like I wanted to marry this woman. That's terrifying. That's a problem. That's a big problem. What do I mean? He's a priest. He refers to himself as Father Mike Schmitz. He's a priest. And what is it that Roman Catholicism has done with their priests? They force them to be celibate. Which they don't have to do, by the way. As a matter of fact, they believe that the Peter was the first pope. And guess what we know about Peter from Scripture? He was married. So the first pope, the greatest pope of all time, was allowed to be married, but modern-day priests and popes can't be. There's an artificial imposition on the theological leaders in the Roman Catholic Church to be celibate when they're not called to celibacy. This is, that leads to sexual sin, that leads to devastation, and I think we've seen it. I think we've seen it. If this man has sexual attraction for women, which he just admitted he used to have it for at least one, had a desire to be married, pursued marriage, he has not been called to celibacy. He just hasn't. Now we know that we have Men who have chosen celibacy, even though God has given them a desire to be married. I know this is off track, but he's the one who brought this up, so it needs to be said. Here we've got Mike Schmitz, who is uh, this charismatic, smart, handsome guy. He, he doesn't, he, doesn't he kind of look like the guy from Mad Men? I forget that actor's name. And he's admitting to us that I've loved a woman, I've desired a woman, I've pursued a woman. And yet, he has chosen a life now of celibacy. But we know God hasn't gifted him with that. Unless you want to, you know, claim it's been taken away. Now, I'm not accusing him. I'm not saying that he's engaged in sexual sin. I'm not saying I know for a fact he's doing all these horrible things that we don't know about. I'm not saying that. But all I'm saying is I'm pointing to something. This is another serious issue. I'm honestly, I'm devastated to hear this story. I'm devastated. Uh, I wish he were married and I wish he was having children and being fruitful and multiplying. Uh, but 
you know, it's his decision, I guess. Um, and at one point she's like, hey, I want you to meet my mom and dad and my, my little brother. And I was like, no, that's ridiculous. I, I don't want to meet your mom and dad. I don't want to meet your little brother. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I didn't say that because I was a good boyfriend. When you love someone, of course you want to meet their family. Of course you want, if they love their parents and the parents love them, then you want to meet those people. In fact, meeting her mom and dad was great. It, and what I found was the more and more I got to know them, the more I got to know her, the more I loved them, the more I loved her. There were even times when, you know, I'd be, we'd be visiting her family and like she and her mom would go do something. So I would hang out with her dad. And there's this sense of like, that's kind of normal. In fact, to have our heart, our love grow even more for the person who's our beloved because you love their family is completely normal. And that is also the case when it comes to the saints, specifically the saint we call Mary, the mother of God, right? This is kind of a bizarre analogy. Uh, there's some general agreement here like yeah i think you do have a special bond when the person you when you love the family of the person you love uh but i think there's a lot of people who can attest to not necessarily growing in their love for their spouse um the more they got to know their family i think there's a lot of people who struggle to have good relationships with their in-laws and i don't know how much that affects the love for their spouse but i don't want to get too uh you know psychoanalytic on that issue i I guess I'd be in general agreement, but here's one of the problems I would have. Okay, so if if the purpose of loving Mary is to make us love Christ more, just like when I, you know, love my wife's family, it makes me love her more. Well, then why don't we give the same devotion to Joseph, Jesus's father, adopted father, the man who raised Jesus, the man who took Jesus into his home, the man chosen by God, who had a special revelation from an angel saying, "Take this son." Do I love Jesus more when I am offered Josephian? Is that what you would call it? Josephian devotion? I don't, I don't know what you'd call it, but you get the point. Why is it only Mary then? If, if, uh, if you know, the ultimate goal of my life is to grow in love for Jesus, I think Mike would admit that. And if loving Jesus' parents will help me love him more, then I, we, shouldn't we all be in much stronger devotion to Joseph? because we're meant to love God is he's he's the one who is the center of our lives right he he captures captures our heart he's the beloved or I guess we're the beloved he's the lover the more and more we love his mom the more we actually end up loving him it's this mystery but it happens it but but we just saw from Matthew chapter 10 that it doesn't actually work that way it even if i grant it can work that way it doesn't actually work that way that's why Jesus has to say don't love certain people more than me. And I know he granted that earlier, but he's acting like this is like this guaranteed formula. If you love Mary more, you're going to love Jesus more. I don't think that's the case. And again, what's the key issue here? We've already talked about the straw man, but I want to bring us back to that. When we talk about loving Mary and loving Jesus, those are kind of abstract. The issue is not so much how much we love Mary. The issue is whether we believe she has the power to hear our prayers, respond to our prayers, uh, entrust our souls to her, entrust our salvation to her, whether she is the dispenser of all graces, whether she was a perfect human being who never committed any sin, whether she is our mediator between us and Jesus, whether she is our co-redemptrix. Like, we're trying to talk about very specific doctrines here, not just this vague concept of loving Mary. The reality. Talking about Mary sometimes, uh, people are like, get all nervous, but like, you don't have to be nervous because Jesus gave her to us from the cross and because loving her more means loving Jesus more. Some people. You do have to be nervous because 
you have to believe things about her which are unbiblical and ahistorical, and if you don't believe those things, you're kicked out of the church. <laughs> so you do have to be worried, and you have to be worried because pretty soon you're going to be, it starts with these kinds of, uh, the, the, uh, these kinds of bait and switch, right? We're, we're just asking Mary to pray for us. Don't you ask people to pray for you? That's all we're doing. And then all of a sudden you're a Catholic for 10 years, and now suddenly you're entrusting your eternal salvation to Mary and asking her to protect you from Satan and to appease Jesus with her intercessory prayers. <laughs> so no, yeah, you should be very, very afraid. Very afraid. I said this. They said you, some people will say this quote. I can't remember which saint said it, but it's a good quote. It said, you can never love Mary too much. Um, you couldn't possibly, possibly love her more than her son. Like, more than her son loves her. You know, and I'm like, ah, that's awesome. That's great. Okay, last... Again, it depends on what you mean by love. Um, yeah, you can idolize Mary in a blasphemous way that Jesus definitely doesn't. So I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure I would agree with that. <laughs> Immaculate conception. I mentioned there's four Marian dogmas. There is the uh, Mary is the mother of God. We have uh, the Immaculate Conception. That from the first moment of her conception, um, Jesus preserved Mary from all stain of original sin by the merits of his future life, death, and resurrection. Number three is the assumption of Mary into heaven. And number four is the perpetual virginity of Mary. Okay, so we're gonna focus on the Immaculate Conception. But one of the things I want to emphasize <clears throat> when it comes to the Immaculate Conception is how it relates to you and to me right now. Now, because of the Immaculate Conception, Mary gets to play a role in our redemption. Just like St. Paul play, played a role in our redemption by giving us you know, a big portion of the New Testament, just like Peter played a role in our redemption by being a, the, the first pope and being one of the apostles, just like the person who brought you to Jesus played a role in your redemption. Like it's, it's, we're not taking anything away from Jesus to say. Just like Judas played a role in our redemption by betraying Jesus. And just like Pilate played a role in our redemption by handing Jesus over to the Jews and allowing him to be crucified. Just like uh, the, the Pharisees played a role in our redemption uh, by deciding that Jesus was guilty of blasphemy and condemning him to death. <laughs> this is basically equivocation. Uh, we claim Mary has this really highly exalted, blasphemous, co-mediatorial role in our salvation. And then when someone uh, objects to that and says, no, I, I think Christ is my sole savior. I think he saved me all by himself. And uh, I don't think that anyone else saved me. I think Christ saved me. And they say, well, you wouldn't know that if Paul didn't write the New Testament. So Paul played a part. Like That's equivocation. Uh, you can't just use this general phrase, played a role in salvation. Well, what does that mean? If all you mean by that is God used a person in a really important way that from a worldly perspective would have prevented Jesus from dying for sins, then we have a whole lot of people to highly exalt for playing a very important role in our salvation. Uh, Joseph played a very important role in our salvation and uh, in taking care of Jesus and not allowing any bad thing to happen to him before he started his earthly ministry. Pilate, the Pharisees, I mean, like even really evil, horrible, terrible people played a role in our salvation. This is a silly equivocation. Mary played a role in the redemption of the world because you have a role as well in the redemption of the world. And that's the key. You have... I don't think I do. I, I, I think I have a role in the kingdom of God. I think I have a role in... in in proclaiming redemption. I think the every individual member of the church certainly has a role in God's divine plan. We certainly have a role in the kingdom and for the kingdom, but I'm not at all comfortable saying I have a role in man's redemption. 
Uh, that's a specific category, a specific term. I don't think I have a role in that. Your role. There are some people who would be like, I don't like that Mary is, uh, has, is the Immaculate Conception. I don't like this, this doctrine or this dogma that Mary, out of all human humanity, was preserved from all stain of original sin by the merits of her son's future life, death, and resurrection. And, I, but by, and by the way, she wasn't. We're not getting into that because he doesn't get into the proof of that. But she wasn't. Uh, Mary was not a, a sinless human being. Uh, that's not biblical. Uh, that's not historical. Uh, the perpetual virginity is probably the Marian dogma that has the best historical attestation. I don't believe any of them have any biblical attestation. The Bible is very clear that every son and daughter of Adam is born with original sin and commits sin. The only reason we accept Jesus from that is there's a logical argument because he's not just a son of Adam. Unlike Mary, unlike everyone else, there's something unique about Jesus and that he's God. But more importantly, the Bible goes out of its way to tell us Jesus was sinless. So if the Bible went out of its way to say, by the way, there's a bunch of exemptions to this universal rule. Not everybody, you know, Mary's one, we got these, you know, then obviously I would believe it. But the fact of the matter is the Bible doesn't have to name every single human being that's ever lived and have a check or a minus of whether they inherited original sin or not. The Bible tells us everybody did. And Paul explains it in Romans 5, how that happens, our covenantal union to Adam. In Christ alone, the new Adam is the only exception to that. And it's the only exception the Bible makes to that. So no, Mary was not preserved from original sin. Even, even Thomas Aquinas didn't believe that. I mean, he believed that Mary lived a sinless life, but he believed she was conceived in sin. He believed she was born perfect. She was forgiven and washed before her birth. But even he couldn't get his head around thinking Mary somehow arbitrarily escaped uh, inheriting sin from her parents. Especially, the Bible tells us in the gospel narratives that the reason Jesus didn't inherit sin is because the Holy Spirit came over Mary and the Holy Spirit conceived him so that the child might be holy. So Jesus not only is told explicitly that he is sinless, Jesus is not only told by the scriptures that he is God, but then the scriptures even get in a little bit to the mechanism of how he escaped original sin, a virgin birth conceived of by the Holy Spirit. Mary was not conceived of by the Holy Spirit. Mary was not born of a virgin. And so we have no biblical reason whatsoever None to believe that she was perfect. She was born just like everybody else. Jesus was not. She was born only human, not God. Jesus was not. And the scriptures do not identify her as a sinless person. Jesus is identified as a sinless person. We have many, many good reasons for exempting Jesus from the universal condemnation of sin upon all men. We have no good reasons for exempting Mary. Mary was not sinless. Why? They think, well, because I wasn't. <laughs> I wasn't preserved from that. And then notice here, notice what he's doing now. Uh, more straw manning. The reason we have a problem with Mary being sinless is because Mary got picked and not me. I want to be the sinless one. Why can't I be the sinless one? Why does Mary get that special rule? We are not here complaining that God let Mary be sinless and not us. This is not selfishness. This is not ego. This is very basically, us complaining about what the scriptures are very clear on. Jesus is the unique, perfect human being. 
Jesus is the one born without sin. Jesus is the one who lived the perfect life under the law in our place, not Mary. We are upset about this because it's unbiblical and because it attacks the uniqueness of the glory of Christ. It's an attack on Jesus. It's an attack on scripture. And that's why we're bothered by it. We're not personally upset like, oh, I wish God would have used me in that way. That is not. So to categorize, to characterize us, forgive me, as throwing a hissy fit, because Mary's perfect and I'm not, that's not our problem. Our problem is the Bible exalts Christ as our perfect, sinless mediator. And so we have objections when Rome wants to now exalt Mary as a co-perfect co-mediator. I still have to deal with original sin. I still have to deal with my own fallen nature. I say, okay, but here's the thing. That's because your role is different than hers. One of the, 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 the hidden truths underneath this dogma of the Immaculate Conception is that God gives us everything we need for the role that he's created us. Um, that's not a hidden truth. That's not implied in the Immaculate Conception at all. This is just preaching, and this is actually a deflection. This is trying to turn what is, to evangelicals in what it should be, a grossly unbiblical and offensive thing, and then trying to make it this vague, flowery, well, see, God just has a role for everyone. He has a role for you. Aren't you so special? Mary's special, but you're special too. No, that's not at all. That has nothing to do with the Immaculate Conception. There's nothing to do with whether Mary was sinless or not. It's a nice preaching point. It sounds good. It makes us feel good. But these things are not organically related, especially because what he hasn't done yet and what we're not going to do is he's not going to explain to us why the Immaculate Conception was so vital for her role, right? He's saying, what's the good news of the Immaculate Conception? Well, God is going to give you whatever you need to fulfill whatever role you have. But he hasn't told us what Mary's role is specifically. What is her role? As our, How is she our co-redeemer? Because he, he told us her role was that she's, she plays a role in our redemption. But then he said basically everybody plays a role in our redemption. So that doesn't explain to us how. So how does Mary play a role in our redemption? And why does she need to be sinless to do that? He hasn't explained any of that to us. So there, we have no reason to believe anything he's saying now. Accomplish. Again, God has given us everything we need to accomplish the role that he's entrusted to us. Now, there, there might be a lot of things that you and I want to do with our lives that we were not called to do, that we weren't created to do, that we haven't been redeemed to do. And we might even do those things. We, we might have all the gifts, capabilities, you might have the qualifications to do a bunch of different things. But you also might not have the gifts, the qualities, the qualifications, the abilities to do a bunch of the different things that you and I want to do. But you and I have everything we need. We have everything we need to play the role, to accomplish the task, to, to live the mission that Christ has placed you on this earth to live. We have absolute confidence in this. And one of the things the Immaculate Conception does is not only reveal God's love for us in, in, through Mary and through his, his plan of salvation, like all the... How? Mary is an exception to the universality of sin, just like Jesus. And she's perfect, just like Jesus. How does that reveal his love for us more? But another thing that the Immaculate Conception reveals is that what God has done in Mary in giving her everything she needed to accomplish the role that he assigned her to, essentially, 
God is going to also, he has or he will, give you everything that you need to accomplish the mission that he has for you. Uh, Joseph was a sinful man. And when I say that, I don't mean he was like some notorious sinner. I just mean he was not born without original sin. He committed sins in his life. Joseph was a redeemed sinner. And he was still perfectly sufficient to be a good father to Jesus. We have no reason to believe that Mary needed to be a perfect human being from conception to ascension to believe that she was equipped by God to be a sufficient, good, loving mother for Jesus. We as Protestants believe Mary was a good mother, a good woman. She was a sufficient, wonderful mother to Jesus. But this assumption that she had to be perfect to be his mother, I don't know where that comes from. So, yeah, does God equip us and give us everything we need? Yes. Did God equip Mary and give her everything she needed? Yes. But it doesn't follow from that that she was perfect. So, 44,000 people just heard this awesome feel-good message about how God's going to equip them for whatever he's called them to. But none of that has anything to do with the Immaculate Conception. So, uh, the Marian dogmas are an offense to Jesus Christ. They are not true. They're not biblical. Now, do I dislike Mike? No, of course not. I think he sounds like an incredible guy. If he lived anywhere in my area, I would love to get coffee with him and talk theology and talk religion and talk scripture with him. So, uh, I'm not trying to get angry. I'm not trying to, you know, come across as hostile towards him individually, but these issues matter. And these dogmas about Mary matter. And here's the, here's the important thing. Mary herself would be, other than Jesus, most offended by them. We get passionate about these things because we, and to some degree, because we care about Mary. Just, if you're a Roman Catholic listener, so let me conclude with this. Just for a moment, imagine that the Marian dogmas are not true. Just hypothetically imagine with me that they're not true. Now I want you to imagine how offended the mother of our Lord would be to find out that you spent your entire life believing she was a perfect, sinless human being just like her son when she knew she had sin. Imagine the grief you would cause her if she found out that you were praying to her as the dispenser of all of God's graces, co-mediatrix of your salvation, and that she is the one who appeases your angry judge Jesus on your behalf. Do you think Mary in glory, who knows and loves Jesus more than she ever did on earth, would be anything but appalled and grieved and hurt and offended and heartbroken at that? So, we care about Mary enough to say she was not sinless. When I die, the last thing I would want is someone to, to preach my funeral and talk about how I was a sinless human being. That would not be flattering to me. That would not be an honest mistake. That would be devastating to me. I would say absolutely not. Christ alone is sinless. Like Jesus with the rich young ruler, why do you call me good? Only God is good. Uh, except for Mary. No. I want the preacher of my funeral to say, only God is good. This man was not a perfect human being. And Mary feels the same way. She is not honored when we act like she challenges Jesus' unique role of sinlessness. That doesn't honor her. And it doesn't honor Christ. So guess what? I've got good news for you. If you read your scripture, 
All sons and daughters of Adam are born with original sin and commit sin. And unless you are the son of God who was conceived by the Holy Spirit in a virgin who is said to be without sin, you have sin. And that includes Mary, that includes you, that includes me. But guess what? Jesus Christ's blood is sufficient to cover all of our sins. Come to Jesus by faith. Trust on him. Turn from your sin. Be forgiven. And you, like Mary, will enjoy his presence for all eternity. Thank you for listening to another episode of Resisting the Winds. I really do appreciate it. As always, maintain the gospel, maintain the fight. God bless.